welcome to the EPART Trade Live webinar, The Evolution, Innovations, and Safety of Driver Racing Seats. Uh, I'm really happy and pleased and excited that we have with us uh, two of the best people on earth to talk to about this. So Randy LaJoy, founder of the Joy of Seating and two-time uh, NASCAR Bush Series champion. And Joe Marco, founder of HMS Motorsport, a retailer and distributor of racing products with locations in Mooresville, North Carolina, and Danvers, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, NASCAR Cup driver Corey LaJoy was originally scheduled to be part of this, but he had a scheduling conflict. So Corey can't make it and uh, we sure understand. Uh, I'm your host, John Kilroy. I'm chief of content and audience development for ePartrade. Um, in a little over two years, we're proud to say that ePartrade has brought three major firsts for the racing industry. So first of all, there's uh, ePartrade itself where you can go to smart source, racing technology and suppliers. And just it's an easier, faster, more productive way to uh, source products in racing. And you get a complete set of possible solutions within minutes. We've also expanded and created this uh, regular webinar series for technical issues in racing business insights, another first for the racing industry. And then we'll have online race industry week, Monday through Friday, November 30th through December 4th. And uh, basically it's another first for the racing industry uh, the pandemic has resulted in the trade shows canceling this year in the racing industry, but we still all need to gather in some way, some shape or form for the all important uh, pr new product introductions for the next racing season. So uh, we're providing what is essentially a trade show experience that week. We have a ton of content uh, all day, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to about 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time uh, that week. And then you go over to EPART Trade and you'll find all the 2021 new product introductions. Uh, we're signing up people right now, just getting approvals on the copy for the announcements. We'll letting those go uh, starting this week. Um, Racer Magazine and Racer.com is helping us with the content and, and they have a tremendous list of speakers. So we're, we're gonna have some fun and some exciting announcements in the next couple of weeks. And then uh, this uh, online race industry week is available for you to attend with no air travel, no hotel expenses, and you don't have to leave the shop. So uh, that, that's the benefits. Paul Fanner of Racer says, what we want to accomplish with Online Race Industry Week is really reboot the industry for 2021. So 2020 is just an unimaginably challenging year, but we really want to get full board back into the game. And that'll be part of what Race Industry Week is all about. The theme is all together now. And the concept is if the industry pulls together and, and gets on board, uh, we'll do pretty good at having a, a, a real genuine worldwide online trade show experience. As you know, at Epart Trade, we basically digitize the entire racing industry and put it online. There's over 25,000 racing organizations at your fingertips. Uh, just try it out. Uh, I'm not a computer guy and I just kind of plunked along and, and went through it. And uh, it's really a robust, sophisticated platform and within minutes, you find yourself shopping the world, really, for racing technology. And it's just right as close as your laptop. Quick housekeeping notes. All webinar attendees are on mute. You won't be on video, so that way we won't have any distractions. And then we want you to ask questions. So at the bottom of the Zoom screen, you can see a, a chat option. And type in your questions there, and then we'll put it to Randy and to Tom. Or, 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 yeah. So. Um, just, or Joe, I'm sorry. So just type in the chat questions and then we'll, we'll get them to these guys. All right. And then if you're having trouble with Zoom, we just can't help you. You know, just go to zoom.us and, and do your best there. We're making a recording. We'll send you a, a link and a password to get into ePartrade in order to watch the recording of this video or share it with your guys in the shops. Okay, our speakers. Uh, Randy LaJoy, founder of the Joy of Seating and two-time NASCAR Bush Series champion. And I, I really have respect for both these gentlemen a lot. So Randy was a great driver. I remember those days when he was winning races in the Bush Series, and it was a tough series. And, and Randy was there just with grit and determination and, and getting the wins and getting the championships. I remember calling Randy up and asking him to be part of a roundtable discussion many years ago. And when he said, he said, yes, I really felt like I found a, a driver who could really represent drivers and talk about the upper levels of racing, but also the grassroots levels of racing and that whole journey to get to the upper levels. So I, I'm really glad to have Randy here. 
and have a race car driver come and talk about the seats that he built to help protect race car drivers is really a big thing. And he's been at it for uh, over a decade now and he's done really well. So we're glad to have the joy of seating here. And then uh, Joe Marco, founder of HMS Motorsport, a retail and distributor of racing products with locations in Mooresville and Danvers. Um, I, I've been to Joe's place in Danvers and, and basically you, you go visit Joe and, and you have access to the finest uh, driver safety equipment in the world. So it's not just domestic, but Joe thinks globally and he's the kind of guy, is one of a few really go-to people in the racing industry for safety. And when I say go-to, I mean sanctioning bodies go to Joe and ask him, Joe, what should we change in our rules? What's new out there that we can incorporate and, and make the drivers safe, safer? So uh, his company prides themselves at handing first-hand experience with the product. So they're racers who sell racing products. And his customer base includes NASCAR teams, Monster Cup, Xfinity, Gander truck teams, IndyCar, IMSA, and, and SCA, SCCA club level. Uh, the full segment of, of racing, full gamut. Um, so when it comes to questions for you two, I'm going to start with uh, something I was fortunate enough to be friends with Smokey Eunuch. And Smokey Eunuch talked to me about the days of racing on the beach and the drivers would have t-shirts on and they'd roll up the t-shirt, put their cigarettes in their sleeve. And when there's a yellow flag, they'd pull out the pack of cigarettes and smoke a cigarette during a yellow flag. And I think, not that long ago, in my lifetime, driver safety was not much of a priority. And the horsepower was a priority, suspension was a priority, lightening the car up was a priority. And then it seemed to me that with the 2001 death of Dale Earnhardt, it just seemed that things moved a notch up and elevated driver safety up to the priorities so that I checked on it. The last NASCAR Cup fatality was Dale Earnhardt's death. And that was in 2001. So that's an example that things seem to have gotten a lot better uh, since Dale Earnhardt's passing. So I'll, I'll ask you both, and, and Joe, I'll, I'll start with you. So when it comes to driver safety, ha have we seen things get better in, in, in your lifetime as a racing business owner? Have, have things improved in that area? I mean, basically, after Earnhardt's uh, death, that was a wake up for the industry. I mean, I, I would have to say, honestly, that prior to that, NASCAR was not at the forefront of, you know, safety initiatives, but subsequent to that uh, with uh, Steve Peterson and, uh, and his team at that point in time, and unfortunately Steve is no longer with us, but Steve Peterson, um, you know, Tom Gideon who's G with GM at that time, uh, John Melvin, uh, these people got involved and, and have evolved uh, NASCAR now with John Padillac at the R&D Center in charge of all the safety initiatives. I mean, NASCAR is really the go-to place. I mean, they've done more R&D development uh, and uh, forwarded safety for motorsports worldwide than really, I believe, any other organization. And then, you know, I mean, and the testament of the crashes that you see and how people survive, you know, how Ryan Newman a couple of days walked away yeah. after that. And, you know, we've had very, very, very few serious injuries uh, in the last, you know, 15 years or so. And, and that's due to a large extent to, to the, the initiatives that NASCAR has put together. And the big thing is, is that they don't look at just seats. They don't look at just belts. They don't look at just helmets. They look at all of this stuff as a combined module. It's a safety cockpit. It's a module where everything works together. You can't really just take and pull out one item out of there. So they developed a, a NASCAR seatbelt standard, which later became SFI 16.5, and then later enhanced even more to SFI 16.6. They developed a similar thing for seats, and you know, and uh, Randy was the first, I believe, the first aluminum seat to get you know certified to this new, really much more intensive uh, certification process. And so the the whole thing has to work as a as a one concept, and I think that's the real key to bring take away from it. Okay, Randy, I'll ask you too. Uh, I mean, you, you were uh, racing back in the 90s, and, and, and have you seen a change in terms of respect for the, the driver's safety envelope in a race car? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, as good as Dale Earnhardt was as a racer, he's going to be known to save more lives than any race car driver. I mean, him and Bill Simpson have saved more lives in racing than probably everybody stacked together, uh, mine included, my son's included. Uh, 
you know, when I started, luckily my dad was a racer and he had met Mark Donahue in 1971 when Mark Donahue just got done winning the Trans Am Championship. And we were at a car show in Hartford, Connecticut. And my dad uh, said, boy, Mark, that looks like a very comfortable seat. And Mark says, go ahead, sit in it. My dad and Mark were the same size. So my dad sat in that and he's like, wow, I would love one. This thing is really nice. Well, my dad bought it from Mark. Mark was making them for himself for his Trans Am cars, made it out of fiberglass. That's the one that's over my shoulder here. Uh, that's one of the original seats. So when I started racing, that's the seat that I used. Uh, and as I got better, I would, people would say, hey, come drive my car. Okay. Well, they didn't have that style seat. You know, they had a standard rib seat. And boy, I, I had trouble with that because I wasn't comfortable. I wasn't supported, you know, being held in by my shoulders, which is so much better. Uh, but then 1994, Tom Gideon, Dr. Melvin, Steve Peterson, they come into my shop and they said, uh, we would like to test one of your seats uh, because NASCAR is going away from fiberglass. Uh, I had to make them out of aluminum. So I built some out of aluminum and it was very difficult and nothing was easy. I had brought my seat, uh, that seat over my shoulder to the seat manufacturers here in town. And I said, you guys build this? And one didn't even want to try because he said it wasn't any good. And I've been in the thing for 10 years driving, being a crash test dummy for 10 years. I mean, those things there, I ended up putting a steel frame around them. Uh, NASCAR had me sign off. If, if you ever looked at my video from Daytona crash, uh, back my first Daytona crash, 1983, uh, it was a vicious wreck. Uh, and they said, as long as you're around, you could use that seat. Because I, I other than a headache, uh, you know, I didn't have a bruise on my body. So, uh, Going to aluminum, I didn't know how strong to make this stuff. Uh, and I would bend it, you know, and then I would stiffen it and I would bend it again and I would stiffen it again. Uh, but once I started putting all that tubing around it, I said, you know, one of my employees, like, you know, they put roll cages on race cars. Why don't we just roll cage a seat? Duh. So uh, once I did that and with the stampings are very strong, then I put some of my guardrail on my shoulders you know, knock on wood, she's been the strongest aluminum seat in the market for a long time. And when I first went to my first PRI show, I, I think I was at the round table with Smokey. That was a great show. I mean, that man was very colorful and, and he, he definitely ruled the room. That's for sure. And I had great experiences with Smokey. Uh, but once I started going to all these shows, you know, Steve Kirky, who's big in the industry, probably builds 10,000 seats a year. You know, he said, Randy, he said, I'm not sure you're going to do any good in this. I said, why is that? He goes, well, that's, that seat is too good. He goes, racers don't want, they just want a cheap seat. And I it just baffled me because number one, it was more comfortable than a square seat. Uh, number two, it was a whole lot safer. And I really thought everybody would want a good, strong seat. Well, you know, probably took me 10 years, 14 years to figure out, no, they wanted cheap seats. And I'm not all about cheap. I'm still about good seats. And now the industry is caught up and the industry is starting to go to rated seats. And that's the biggest thing from when I started to where we are today to where my son has started is the seats systems. Like Joe said earlier, it's not just one. It, it's your belts, it's your head and neck, it's your helmets, it's your fire suits. It's your whole systems in these cars are totally different than they used to be. I go back and look at all these cars, you know, in museums. And you look at them, you're like, boy, these guys were tough. Because I'm not quite sure I could drive a car 500 miles in that. So that's where we are. And we're definitely a lot better today. The industry is a lot better today than it was, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, I really appreciated seeing real science being poured into driver safety. And I, I just don't remember that before Dale Earnhardt died, but afterwards there was like John Melvin, just people applying scientific principles to, to what are the injuries, how do we prevent them? Then the Hans device really blossomed in the industry as well. Um, Joe, uh, when it comes to somebody approaching the task of buying a racing seat, uh, what questions should they ask as they come into your shop? What should they be looking for to get the right seat for them? 
Well, the most important thing is, is, is obviously, you know, they need to fit in it. The shoulders need to be positioned at the right place so you've got support on the shoulders, but enough that you can set yourself back. You don't want to have the shoulders bent in. And really important is that the openings and the mounting for the shoulder belts that are going to go, the racing harnesses are going to go over, you need to have a clear passage to go over your shoulders and go straight back to a mounting point and, and have the mounting point as close to the back of the seat as possible. You know, if you look at a cup seat nowadays, uh, all of the belts are mounted internal to the seat, which is the optimum solution, of course, providing that the seat is properly mounted to the chassis. Uh, but, you know, but really, uh, you know, NASCAR, the, the highest standard uh, to which Randy's building his, uh, his NASCAR seats, it's pretty unique to NASCAR to have the all belts to seat solution. It's not something that's out there in general. But if you're buying just a, a traditional seat for a, a late model or a circle track car or a sports car, the most important thing is to make sure that the seat properly fits you, that the shoulder openings or where the belts are going to pass through if they're not mounted to the seat are in the proper position. You want to have the angle coming off of your head and neck restraint, which now, you know, there are many devices other than the Han, so we call them a frontal head restraint, uh, an FHR. So off the FHR, you want to have going backward an angle of zero degrees and maybe as much as minus 20, but you don't want to be going up. And you don't want to have anything that's going to be in the way and obstruction for the shoulder belts. Same thing goes for the lap belts. You want to make sure that the openings for the lap belts are, are oriented so that the belt can ride through the opening for the, the lap belt in the seat. It can ride over your pelvis without any interference with the opening in the seat and the belt itself. And then you have to look carefully at things like pull up and pull down mountings uh, or for the adjusters for the belt. You don't want to have, for example, a pull up adjuster <clears throat> that's sitting just outside the opening of the seat of the lap belt that potentially in, a, in an impact could get caught on that opening and therefore release the belt. But, uh, you know, Randy's done a, a terrific job with his seats. I mean, we've seen um, uh, now in like even like quarter midgets and things, we're getting, you know, we're getting really good quality containment seats uh, for kids and even quarter midgets that have, you know, proper openings for, for all the belts in the right places for the substraps and things like that. And that's really, only been trickling down to, to those kind of series in the last probably four or five years to any significance. But people are re recognizing that there's a big difference between some of the old, you know, style aluminum seats that are pretty much, you know, a real thin sheet and a true containment seat. And they're realizing, hey, if we're going to put our kids into these things, it doesn't matter whether they're in a quarter midget, a box stock, or they're racing a late model, a super light model, modified, or a cup car. You know, the, the concepts that have evolved with the work of Randy and Tom Gideon and uh, Melvin and all those people over the last years has made just an incredible uh, difference. And, and now, you know, the, the, we have a lot of procedures that are written up. We have a really detailed instruction manual for installing belts in the seats. And Randy and I have done a number of things over the years, uh, talking together at different conferences to, to kind of educate people that, you know, yeah, you, here's the way the seat needs to fit, here's the way the belts need to fit, and all this, as Randy says, is a, is a system. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Randy, I'll throw it over to you. I mean, what, what are the best questions a, a driver can ask in order to get the right seat for him? Well, it's simply amazing, you know, driver's mentalities. Uh, we're all a little different. If we put on a helmet, you know, there, there might, we need to protect something in that helmet. And we don't think of that. When you're a race car driver, you don't think about safety. You don't think it's going to happen to you. And I think that what separates some guys that go to Hall of Fames and some guys that don't. Uh, so the drivers are, are really difficult to sell safety on. They're, they're, they're so much easier to sell a shock, a set of headers, a carburetor, I mean, because that's instant gratification. They can see it on a stopwatch. Uh, I tell people that don't have containment seats, I'll pick you up a half a second. And they're like, they'll say, how do you do that? I said, well, you're not holding yourself in the car anymore, which containment seats have come a long way. When I first started, it was 5% of the market, if that, that had any kind of containment. You know, the, now there's 90% of the market. Not saying that they're all good certified seats, but they're better than what the old milk crates and the, and the single rib supports that they used to have 
they're definitely a lot better today. Uh, and that all just goes the drivers first. I seen a big, huge push at when we lost Dale. You know, Adam Petty, Kenny Owen, Blaze Alexander, uh, Tony Roper. It was a handful of guys that we lost that, man, you know, the, the, it didn't seem like Gideon, Melvin, Steve Peterson. I mean, they started this in the late 90s. I remember they, they tested one of my seats mid-90s, uh, one of my first aluminum seats, and they brought it back to me, and it was bent. But I had bent it the same way. So I was like, okay, I know how to fix this. But then when I watched the video and seeing how much the center line of the dummy's body moved, I was like, wow, my body moved that far when I bent that seat? And then you start seeing, you know, 60% fluid, the human body is. So we're trying to contain jello. So, okay, we're just trying to hold it. And it's simply amazing. I, I hurt myself. I could have swore my transmission. I blew a tire here at Charlotte. And I, I right front impact, and I went down, and I could have swore the shifter damn near hit my helmet. Wow. And I was like, there's no way I can get that far. Well, I, I hit my knee on the dashboard, and it was 16 inches away. I, had an, I, I broke my kneecap. And the bolt that it hit was 16 inches from my knee. And I was like, how does that happen? Well, you know, people don't realize that 25 mile an hour, you hit something going forward, you, your body goes away from the seat, you know, probably two, three inches. Well, okay, if, if it's not contained correctly, it's going everywhere. I mean, it's a it's pretty amazing piece of equipment our bodies are, but boy, does it hurt when you get gray hairs. <laughs> you feel every one of those crashes. So, uh, yeah, but even in a, in a, in a uh, seat where, you know, with a, a cup seat where you have all belts to seat, if they hit the wall at 40, 50, 60 miles an hour or change of velocity of that, you're going to be able to probably drop a football, maybe even a basketball between their back and the inside back of the seat. That's how much the body moves. Now, a little bit of that is the belt stretch, but a big part of that is like, as Randy said, your body is, you know, a lot of stuff that's not hard. So it's, it's the actual belts absorbing, being absorbed into your body mass. And you can bear, you know, anywhere, and even in that kind of configuration, 12 to 14 inches away from anywhere your head is 12 to 14 inches to anything it could hit, that's uh, fair game. That's where you, your head could end up. And that's where high density roll bar padding, you know, the kind of linings that we're using in the cup seats that Randy's using for the, the inserts, Okay, they, are, they have a certain amount of high density foam all around the headrest. And that high density foam is very similar to the high density foam that would be on a roll bar. I'll go to a lot of circle, local circle tracks and I'll still see in some of the classes, uh, pipe insulation basically for roll bar padding. That's gonna basically, you hit that pipe insulation or that roll bar padding that's like kind of real soft stuff, it's just gonna cause your head to bounce right off of it. It's not really gonna give you any protection, whereas the high density padding, you can really barely push in, that is going to absorb that energy. And that's what, what's incorporated into the structure of those seats. Yeah, the, the one thing about Dale Earnhardt's death is, is that when it happened, I think a lot of people who were race fans saw the crash and didn't think much of it. But I know there are drivers who saw the crash and the angle and everything, and they knew right away that that, that was a bad crash. And it's, it's, we've learned a lot since, since why it was a bad crash and, uh, and, and we've really applied it and, and we're keeping drivers safe, safer than we have before. Uh, Randy supplied us with a video today and uh, I, I just wanna ask Francis if, if he can roll it. Uh, right now, this may take a minute to get it rolling and if it doesn't quite work, we'll just move on. There's and no sound. What we're going to see is, is a, an all belts to seat test at the SFI headquarters. Uh, this is how they push the headrest. You can see the center of the seat. Uh, that's where all the belts attach to it. Uh, and, and they're pushing on the headrest. And what our spec, it's about 100 G hit. You know, it's 100 G impact, which is right now they're pushing on this at the bottom of the screen. It goes up to 2,000 pounds. So, that cannot move more than a half of an inch. It has to come back within a quarter of an inch. So they push on the head, they'll push on the shoulder, and they'll push on the, the hip 
and everything is not allowed to move uh, with this SFI spec more than a half of an inch. And one of the things going forward, you know, we're up against uh, the fiberglass market, the carbon market, uh, and they are, a lot of these have FIA ratings. And the FIA ratings, uh, I haven't gone across the country to, to, to go that. It's very expensive to get. Uh, but one of, one of my instances, everything I've learned is you want to keep the center line close to center. Well, the FIA has let you move because there's a total different. They're out in the woods and they don't want you to, they want your body to move. Well, to pass an FIA test by half inch, I'm allowed three and a half inches to pass an FIA test. And, and I don't think the body should move that far. Uh, so I, I, I haven't pursued that uh, just because at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think less movement is better. And any, anybody that's hit stuff recently will tell you that less movement is better. That's for sure. Uh, we have a question from Tony V. Uh, great insights. Can you tell us more about the difference between carbon fiber seats and metal seats uh, if, if they're both approved by the safety standards? Yeah, when I started, uh, NASCAR said they weren't going to get 94. They said no more fiberglass seats. So I said, okay, uh, I asked about carbon fiber and they said, no, they said, we're not going to allow that. Okay. So I invested into making my stampings uh, for aluminum. So I'm an aluminum guy and carbon is very good done correctly. I've seen carbon not done correctly. Uh, I've seen carbon that has been cracked and they hit it on a second test and it explodes, it breaks. So what advantage aluminum has over carbon, in my mind, is the visual aspect of inspection. Okay, we can always see a seat that's bent. We can always see a big seat that's cracked in aluminum. And we could straighten it. We could bring it back. We could stiffen it. We could weld it. Well, you can't do that with carbon. Uh, and I've had, I've had guys try to build carbon seats to, to mimic my aluminum ones. And they, they haven't done it yet. Uh, uh, my tester, the guy that did mine, I, we couldn't get one to pass to be as strong as my aluminum seats. So it's very difficult. Carbon is not my forte, uh, but that's an art form. I mean, they, there's Kevlar, there's carbon, they, how you lay it up. I mean, it's pretty darn cool to do it and watch it, but when I push on it into my machine and it's not as strong as my tubing and aluminum, well, you know what, we got to do something different. Uh, so I push the industry to, because there's some carbon fiberglass seats out there that could hurt you. And if it doesn't have a, a rated, an SFI rated on it, it's not good enough for, for what we're doing in this auto racing. Uh, because I like all these drivers, well, not all of them, but uh, I, I don't want to see none of these guys get hurt. Uh, that's for sure. Because the information is here. Since 2001, you know, uh, I think Gideon and... Peterson, they started about 97, 98. They were, they were the forefront. There was a lot of stuff going on uh, behind the scenes. And then 2001, it just blew up. So in the industry, the seat industry, we were told in 99 at a meeting at the PRI show that we needed to get better. They were testing everybody's seats. Okay, guys, you need to be, get better. You need this to be stronger. So we all had a heads up. Uh, and it really surprised me that 2011, was the first certified seat at Daytona. I mean, it took 10 years uh, for the industry. I mean, I know we had a terrible 2007 to 2009, but it, a couple of the people in this industry didn't drag their feet. We, we could have kept the industry a lot safer prior to 2008 because that one guy drug his feet and we never got certified. So we, I figure once NASCAR got certified, it'll be five years in the short track world's coming. And they'll be certified. Well, 2011, NASCAR was certified, all certified seats throughout the board. Uh, here we are, 2020, and the World of Outlaws just finally went through a certification. The Lucas Oil Dirt Lake Models went through certification. So there, there's not enough guys that are pushing the certification because this a certified seat's not going to hurt you. You know, that's what the drivers got to realize. They, if you're going to buy a new seat, buy a certified seat because this way here, as long as the manufacturers are doing their job and doing it correctly, something with an SFI tag on it, 
if it's mounted correctly, you should you should be able to wreck hard and, and climb out and go to a basketball game, go drink a beer, whatever. So it, it's something that, you know, stronger is better when it comes to seats. And Joe, I'd like to ask you too, because I, I think HMS sells a, a carbon seats. So what do you find is the difference between the aluminum seats and the carbon seats? And what are people looking for in the differences? I mean, uh, the, the carbon seats are, I mean, the aluminum seats are made probably a little bit more custom in some ways, whereas a lot of times in the carbon seats, uh, especially like in, in the cup series and stuff, there there's maybe fewer shells. I mean, Hendrick makes a, an incredible number of shells for carbon seats, but if you look at uh, fiberwork seats and stuff, they have pretty much one shell, a couple of different headrests, and the, the really the difference comes in how the liner is done. And the liner is pretty critical in, in any seat, but it's effectively, especially critical in you know carbon seats. I think the big thing is, is that having the SFI standards, the two top standards, the, the 0.1 and the 0.2, are really, anybody who's developed a seat to those standards, you can be pretty sure that it's gonna be a solid seat. You know, the, the, the carbon seats are, you know, they need to be done properly. And there are a few companies that are doing them the way they should. The layup of carbon is, you know, is more critical as far as following the right procedures, following the right template, making sure it's done properly in the autoclave. And you need to, and so having that, that SFI certification on those seats is, is pretty, pretty critical. You know, now the, the seats that, you know, that Randy's building for the top series, they don't always fit that well in sports cars. So when you get into the sports car market, the FIA standard that they're developing that like, um, you know, we, we sell Cobra seats and OMP seats and stuff like that for sports cars. They're typically bottom or uh, side mounted seats. They're mounted to the floor. They're not mounted generally <clears throat> as well to the harness bar like a, a typical uh, aluminum or, or cup style carbon seat. And those seats are designed to an FIA standard that is not in any way comparable to what the SFI standards that we're using for, you know, for cup seats and for uh, World of Outlaws and things like that. Uh, but it's a different type of racing. Uh, the cars are different. The, the cars, most of them would not accommodate the, the size of the uh, large carbon and aluminum uh, seats that are being built. So they have to look at something different. But that's evolving slowly the, for uh, uh, German touring car racing and British touring car racing. They have a FIA has come up with a new standard that is a little bit more rigid and it is different. It, as Randy said, it's extremely expensive to homologate a seat to that standard. And the demand for that right now in the industry is not, it, it, within a, with a few exceptions of series in Europe, nobody's requiring that particular type of seat. You know, but, uh, you know, within, within Cup and Outlaw and stuff, I mean, there are, you know, uh, aluminum seats are probably more traditionally standard. Uh, the carbon seats are kind of coming in uh, to their way now. But as long as it meets the certification, I think you're going to be in, in good shape with both of them. Uh, there are advantages and disadvantages to each of them. Um, but I, the one thing that I think that, that Randy's been able to do is to take the design concepts of what the, the his containment seam, the carbon from the cup series and bring it down and get it, like I mentioned before, into things like box stocks and quarter midgets and things where we're really protecting, you know, the kids. I mean, you go to Millbridge Speedway, which is a local one by us here, and half the field is, uh, you know, you got Brexton Bush out there and you got, uh, you got uh, Kenny Rogers' kid or, or Kenny Francis's kids and they're cup drivers and they're they're crew chiefs and their kids are racing and they know what a good seat is and that's what they want. And they want to get their kids in the containment seat. They want to get their kids with a head and neck restraint and properly installed belt. So it's the work that, that you know, kind of NASCAR and, and uh, you know, I like to call it the safety mafia. So there was, you know, which is, you know, Steve Peterson and Gideon and, and Padillac and Randy. And I, I, I like to be a associate member of that sometimes. Uh, but I, I think it's, you know, we're getting more and more of the high quality containment aluminum seats and stuff down into series where we don't really yet have a full range of carbon seats, you know, that, that have gotten down to that point. And a carbon seat tends to be, you know, significantly more expensive. So the end price of entry can sometimes be, you know, a, a downside to that. Okay. I have a, I think a question. Uh, people are writing in questions using the chat button at the bottom of the Zoom screen. 
This is from our friend Don Taylor. Uh, talk about the custom foam seat liners. Uh, is there something critical we should know about the custom foam seat liners? Well, they work. Uh, everybody is different. When everybody's spine is different, that, that's something I've learned through the years of, of sizing people up. Is everybody has different issues. I remember when Ford brought Casey Kane here. Uh, one of your first times, uh, hell, he was probably 15, 18 years old, whatever he was, he was a kid. And he said, well, we need to build him a seat. Okay. And he, he said, well, can you fix this? And he picked up his shirt and in the middle of his back, his, his spine kind of protruded. Well, it was all raw. I mean, it was raw meat. I was like, what the heck? I was like, that's gross. What is that? He said, well, it's from my midget. And that's where the holes are, those old lightweight seats with all those holes. It just, it rubbed his back raw. Wow. So, okay, so when I built him a seat, I had to recess the center part of the seat because his spine stuck out. So everybody is different. You know, of what some of the engineers I, I've learned, they said, if you're over 4% of body fat, you have enough padding in your body that you should be okay. So at the time, I mean, I was a whole lot skinnier than I am now, and I still had extra padding. Uh, so, but he said, if you, if there's a bony person that got a bone sticking out, you pad to feel, uh, but everybody's back is shaped different. So those inserts are very good in a way. I mean, but they're also not a, if your seat fits you, sometimes you don't need an insert. I mean, being that my aluminum seat is round and, and I put a round plug in a round hole, you know, your butt fits in it, your hips fit in it, your shoulders fit in it. So instead of being in contact with 80% of the seat, you're in contact with 98% of the seat. And sometimes you go to the bigger seats and stuff like that, you almost have to go to inserts uh, because it just seemed to work better. And that's something that pro and con, I mean, if you're a different shape guy and your back is different and some guys need lumbar support, some guys don't, inserts work well. But then again, if your seat fits you, you don't need an insert. I think the only thing from the, uh, you know, from the inserts, you know, depending on what kind of racing, but having the proper uh, high density padding underneath your butt, having like a, an inch, you know, ideally an inch, you know, it could be as little as that. I think NASCAR allows a, a half inch um, or three quarters of an inch, you know, that having that, you know, at the lower part of your back and right where your, your spine comes down and inserts a seat, that's going to help you if you end up flipping over in a, in a car and coming down hard or your car goes, you know, you hit the wall and the back of the car comes up and you slam down. Having that high density foam and, and particularly in that location is going to greatly reduce the likelihood of a spinal, uh, spinal injury, uh, compression injury. So the, the foam, in addition to being a comfort factor, it also adds uh, some significant safety stuff. So I mean, like certainly on the head surrounds and stuff, you want to have the, the, the high density foam so that as your, your head hits it in, in, you know, in some sort of an impact that is absorbing that energy rather than, you know, bouncing off of it. Uh, so so the, the, the liners do, you know, in, in all cases, the liner will give you some advantage. How much of a line you need, like Randy said, can vary dramatically in, in the way the seat's designed. If the seat's more fitted to you, you don't need nearly as much of a liner as you might in a, in a standard size uh, seat that's, you know, that's fit, and then you, then you have to fit yourself to it with the liner. Okay, great. And then uh, as part of this uh, uh, webinar, uh, Randy, uh, you're expanding your dealer base. So uh, you're looking for uh, dealers for joyous seating. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, the last couple of years I've been working on are kind of standard sizes. You know, everything I did at the beginning, the first 15 years was all custom sizes to the guys. Well, I, in the last few years, I, I got common size stamps, a 14-inch, a 15 inch, a 16 inch, 17. So we have a, a common sizes now. So it's a lot easier for dealers. The, the biggest, a lot of times, you know, guys' torsos aren't the same. Guys' necks aren't the same. Now you see some guys have a damn giraffe neck. I mean, they got a darn neck. And then you see some guys, when they shave, they, they take their chest hairs off. So you can't have the same seat. For a guy that eyes are up here, the guy's eyes here, you, you have to hold it. Uh, so a common seat, We've come up with a common seat the last three, four years that some dealers are working with. And, they, you know, that some guys just want to take the box off the shelf and give it to you and say, there's your seat. Well, I'm a little bit more difficult than that. Yet I say to sit the guy in it and take a picture of it and send it to me. 
because I can tell a lot. Okay, I know what that seat is. I know the blueprint. I have to adjust this, this, and this. Well, if it fits the guy, take his money and send him on his way. I'll send you another one. So, yes, I am in the market for dealers uh, that can help. Uh, I have the greatest aluminum seat on the market, but it's, it's tough to sell because it takes your time to do it. Well, it's tough to sell, but I do believe the racing industry, the racing businesses are really key, like HMS Motorsport, to making racer, racers safer. And, and Joe, I, I really commend you again as an example of racing business playing a key role in improving uh, driver safety. What has been the philosophy from HMS Motorsport kind of from the beginning? Because this just seems to be a passion for you and your organization to keep drivers safe. Uh, what's behind that? I mean, basically, um, you know, I started in the hotel business. I started at HMS uh, 25 years ago. Uh, and in the early part, we did BMW performance parts and tunings. And, and it wasn't really until uh, 2001 when Earnhardt's death came by and, and uh, we had uh, Ryan Newman and uh, Matt Borland stop by our booth at the PRI show. And that was kind of our kickoff. And they brought us up to, uh, to Charlotte to uh, meet with uh, Penske because Ryan was driving for Penske then and then they introduced us to Steve Peterson and then that kind of took off and that kind of to me you know I always want to figure out something that we can give back I've been a driving instructor with BMW club occasionally a Porsche club and Ferrari club and some other stuff and so I'm, I've been driving on the track for 30 years and safety is always something that I was concerned with we started with Schroep belts back in 1996 selling them and now we've been the exclusive importer and distributor since uh, 1999 you know 20 years when we started out it was a business that was you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars and now it's you know a few million dollars uh, a year but the the passionate thing is when when we got involved with steve peterson and i met you know john uh john melvin and and uh bob hubbard and we were the first actual hans retailer. I spent a lot of time talking with Jim Downing to convince him that, you know, he needed to let some other people sell belts. So we were their first retailer. Yeah. But the passion has been to educate people. And from day one, and that's Randy's passion too. I mean, together, we've, I think we've done as much as anybody else other than sanctioning bodies to go out there and really try to educate different sanctioning bodies, different events that PRI shows and local regional shows to go out and really get the word out and educate people on how to properly install seats and belts and all that kind of stuff. And that's been the passion. And that's how we kind of, you know, right now we do the seat belts for 38 or 39 of the cup teams. They're all sewn, uh, customized uh, in our shop here up in Mooresville. And we do uh, almost all of IndyCar and, and, and stuff. And it's because we pay attention to the detail. And I think with, with seats, the way Randy's been successful with his seats is he's personally fit all these people. And it's the same thing. If you're going to buy a race seat, it's hard to buy it online. You know, you shouldn't buy a helmet online. You shouldn't buy a race seat online. You should go to a local retail store. And I don't care if, you have to, if you're going to buy a seat, come into my store and see it. But if, if you're, my store is not close, go to the local store that's close to you and buy the seat there. And look at the seat there get properly fitted, hopefully by experienced staff, and then buy the product where you try it out. Don't, you know, oh, I hate it when somebody comes in and they spend an hour of my time getting fitted for something, then walk out the door and say, hey, we're gonna go buy it online wherever we can buy it cheaper. I mean, Randy spends a lot of time and a lot of money to go to trade shows with his seat fitment uh, machines and with all the different seats there to make sure people get the product that fits them. And our philosophy at HMS is, we only wanna sell you what is gonna work. You know, I mean, whether it's a helmet, a seat, belts, you know, if you want a steel helmet, but your head is not a steel size, a shape, then we're going to sell you an Arai helmet or some other helmet. You know, just because somebody wants a certain product doesn't mean that it's the right product for them. And our job as a, as a retailer, and my job is, and, I, and all my staff, is to make sure people get the correct thing, not necessarily what they want, not necessarily what they expect. And very often, I'm sure that people walk into Randy's shop or my shop and they walk out with something quite different than what they thought they might be going to get when they walked in. Yes, and uh, ePartray, just to make it clear, we're not an e-commerce site, so we're not in competition with Joe. We have great respect for the, the racing retail shop, racing retail businesses, 
And we think uh, grassroots racers uh, all over the country, they should make an ally out of their local racing retail business because that guy knows the local racing scene. He knows the hot setup and suspension. He knows what's keeping people safe. So we're very supportive of bricks and mortar stores. I know it sounds a little bit old fashioned these days, but the idea of a local business to your local racetrack, knowing what's best for you is really valuable. And, and we're glad to have a lot of those companies using ePart Trade to, to source uh, products and suppliers as well. Okay. Um, and then when it comes to actually uh, fitting a race seat, is that difficult? You go to the trade shows and you see somebody sitting in the, the seat and like it's a, uh, they're gonna watch television in it. But I mean, how does a racer know when he's actually fitted well into the seat? Well, that's something, you know, when I first started this, I, I started with four stamp parts uh, to, to do my stampings to make a flat piece of aluminum round was not easy. So we had four individual parts. We had two butt cheeks and two backs and two shoulders. And so luckily the, the, the guy that I got involved with, Eastover Manufacturing in Dayton, Ohio, he's a pattern shop. He builds all these wood patterns for these big gears and he's a very talented man and he's a racer. He's a Porsche club guy, he's an instructor. Had the very similar seat that's sitting over my shoulder here in his Porsche. So he was a race fan. Well, thankfully, uh, when I met somebody that said, how can we make these parts round? He could do it. He got in with stamping people. He, he's done it before. So how do we hold this? So he sent me some parts. And I said, how do I hold this thing together? Because it was very difficult to, to put it together and clamp and weld and this. It was all over the place. Well, he ended up building me a fixture uh, that I think uh, – your girl Judy, she she sent me a, a my first PRI show. I was upstairs in a room. It was about ten of us. Uh, in a, I had a little ten by ten, and I had this machine that I could size people up. And the machine, for all my custom stuff, it goes up and down, in and out. Guys like to sit up. Guys like to sit down. Guys like to relax. So everybody has a different quirk. Uh, some guys want to sit this way, some guys want whatever. Well, it's hard to do that when you have a store bar seat, which is something I can do a lot different. I, I built a seat for a guy that was a hunchback. I mean, he had a, his back was huge. He had a, he was born a hunchback. Well, nothing would fit him. Well, I, it took me about a week to form this back of his seat. And he's still racing today. Uh, he loves the seat. And that's something I've seen, you know, somebody wants a shelf life on our seats. Well, the round seats, my, my style, the round seats, I, I got a couple back here just recently and I put them in my tester and they tested stronger than they did 10 years ago. Uh, and I've been told that the reason is because the aluminum, uh, it age hardens being that it's round and it has to move and the molecules in it. So as they get older, my seats get stronger. Uh, so uh, age, Unless you destroy this thing, you know, I, I've had seats uh, 15 years old. I mean, uh, Matt Shepard up in New England, he just refurbed a couple of them. He goes, Randy, that's my first one. And he was mad because the cover was bad. And I said, you got a pair of socks that are 15 years old? <laughs> I said, well, come on, man. You got a seat cover. You race three nights a week. Uh, so shelf life on a seat, other than, you know, I, I guarantee my seat's against cracking. If my seat's cracked, I'll fix it because you did something that I did as a crash test dummy that I haven't seen before. So I, being that I'm round, being that I use the tubing, you know, knock on wood, they are, they do very well. And for, for lengths of time, uh, it's too bad. I should come up with a wash. If there's anybody listening that I can wash a seat and it could disintegrate. So they have to buy a new one. That would be even better. So if there's anybody out there listening that has a specific wash that I think it's, uh, you know, I can wash the seats and say, I don't know, where did it go? It just disintegrated. Oh, I got to buy another one. Uh, so that's something that it's good seats will last a long time, especially a certified seat. If you guys got a certified seat, you'll be in it for a very long time. All right. And, and Joe, uh, how does a racer know that the seat fits them just perfectly? Um, 
I mean, obviously, it, it's a comfort factor, but I mean, knowing your shoulders should be able to sit back. I mean, and you and you should be able to, you know, if you're going for a containment seat, you want to have the the extensions that are coming out on the sides. You want to make sure that you're they're high enough so you're just barely looking over the top of them. Okay, you, but you want to make sure that the where they come around that your shoulders can get underneath it and you're not pushing your shoulders down. Um, I mean, we're looking. Uh, Cody Ware was in our shop today, and we were trying to fit him for a seat for a GT car, uh, and, a, and a you know a traditional, you know fiber or fiberglass or carbon uh, FIA seat. And he sits in this thing. He's six four. I mean, even in the biggest seat, his shoulders are pushing up against uh, the head surround. You know, so again, you you have to go to the shop. You have to sit in the seat. You have to make sure that your butt goes all the way down in the seat. And that uh, you know, there's a good passage. You know, if you're if you're portly, and uh, you have you know you're larger than the average person, you you need to sit in the seat to make sure that all of the openings and the stuff that the heights of those shoulder openings are are there. And that you can only do that by by sitting in the seat. And hopefully, the person selling the seat has some experience to to help you uh, along. You know, help you get along with that. Uh, Eric Dobson. Are, are there any manufacturers using or planning to use in-car biometrics to verify the SFI FIA standards? Uh, I know the tests are designed to exceed achievable force. Does that uh, mean anything to you, Joe? Um, I mean, the standards were developed with you know with biometrics in uh, in mind. I mean, that was the work that uh, that the the Gideon and Melvin and Padillac, especially with the new SFI uh, C standards. I mean, biometrics played a, a key role in understanding. They looked at the crash data from, you know, from NASCAR crashes, from the, the data recorders, and, uh, and in the testing and the stuff that they did, they developed those tests the same way they did with the seatbelts based on the, the loads that they actually saw in real life. And so, you know, and that's how the seat standards came about. That's how the new belt standards came about. It all is done really incorporating, you know, the biometric information into uh, the design and then taking that to uh, the crash sled and running and doing simulated tests, simu basically duplicating on the crash sled the, the dynamics of the, um, uh, of, the, of the actual crash data that they've had uh, to get the crash pulse to be pretty much identical. And so all that, you know, so yes, I mean, all of any of the certification standards that have been developed, you know, whether it's seatbelts or seats with SFI are based on biometric engineering studies and, and testing. Okay. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're going to wrap this thing up in, at 10 a.m. So we only got a few minutes left. And uh, Randy, I'll start with you. Is there anything in particular we haven't discussed yet that you think is important in this message to the racing industry? I mean, we have uh, racing professionals from all around the world watching right now. Uh, is there anything, you know, as wrapping it up, is there anything you'd like to say? Well, one, one of the things, I'm a huge race fan. My dad was a racer. I grew up in New England going to all kinds of racetracks. And, and I went to a few funerals uh, because of those drivers. I mean, I got, I got an old book here. And look at that driver in that. Well, God. we don't need that anymore. We don't, the systems in these cars have to get better have to control the manufacturers have to work with the industry whether it's joe with the seatbelts where they're mounted how they're mounted the angles they're mounted that's when you when the manufacturers of cars weld their seatbelt tab in the car weld it where the seatbelt manufacturer wants it not where the guy 20 years ago just happened to put it no put it to the right angle uh, and that's, you know, we can't hold. I mean, it was up until mid-2000s that a lot of these late model cars, uh, dirt cars, they only had three bolts to hold the seat in. They only had one bolt in the middle of the back. Well, well you can't do that with a containment seat. A containment seat, your, your load is on your shoulders, and it makes the seat torque. Uh, so you have to mount it correctly. Uh, and we talked about a size. That's the biggest thing. I go to racetracks, and I look in guys' cars, and I said, dude, that seat don't even close to fit you. Why not? What do you mean, why not? Your shoulders are supposed to be against it, not two inches away. Oh, and then I would take a ratchet strap and bend it and help them. And they're like, wow, that's the greatest thing ever. And, you know, okay, it's not my product, but I just helped the guy fit better. And that's people, racers, 
I drove a race car one time in Maine without a seat. So now I'm trying to tell people they need a seat. Racers would drive without seats, without clothes, without racers would just do it just to do it. And then say, how fast did I go? I could have went quicker. So that's what I'm up against. And we are up against as a, safety is very hard to sell. If we could sell carburetors and, and springs and speed, boy, I think we would do a lot better. But safety is always, it, it, it moves down on the driver's list. I wish, you know, I always go after the moms, girlfriends, parents, and hey, that kid could be safer. I mean, that's my first line when I go now. I mean, I used to look at people in seats and say, I call them a dumbass. I say, that, you get hurt. Well, they didn't like doing business with somebody called them a dumbass. So now I just give them a card and I'll say, hey, you could be safer. And we'll, we'll start there. So my presentation has changed a little bit. That's very good. I remember talking to racing retailers about you know, the Christmas season, if, if that could be applied to racing and Christmas uh, sales. They said, yeah, when it comes to driver safety gear, you can talk to the wife, you can talk to the mother, you can talk to the father. They want to get that guy geared up so he has a good, safe uh, envelope inside the car. Uh, Joe, is there something else we haven't talked about when it comes to uh, racing seats and driver safety that, that you want to share? I think along the same lines of what Randy's saying is, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been at the racetrack and I've helped, like, uh, I used to go to Stafford when we were up in New England. I used to go to Stafford and Lee and I'd work with them during their tech days at the beginning of the season. And I would go through every car with the tech guy and I would, you know, help and tell people, hey, you know, the seatbelt, I don't care what brand belt you have, but it's not installed properly. This is what you have to do to install it properly. And so, you know, doing that and helping, like Randy said, the other thing is, is that, especially a lot of the local circle tracks, I mean, I'll go there and they'll, I'll get somebody who will spend $120 on a pair of Puma gloves because they saw Dale Jr. or, or some of their favorite driver wear them, but they won't spend $35 for high density roll bar padding, which could be the difference between them going to work on Monday uh, normal or being uh, knocked out for a concussion for a thing. And I, I, I've seen this so many times. So, I mean, it's just the very basic safety stuff, you know, high density roll bar padding, belts and seats properly installed, uh, and, you know, with, with the right angles and all that, and a head and neck restraint. They're still hard to believe, but they're still tracks and, and different lower level organizations that are not requiring uh, an SFI rated head and neck restraint. I mean, that's the most, next to having good belts in the, in the seat, or maybe even on top of that, it's, it's having a frontal head restraint that, that, that's a proper one that's fitted. The prices in the last couple of years have come down. You're talking about $349 for, for a Hans type device. Uh, you know, and so the, the, the entry point is, is, is gone away. If you can buy a new tire, you can buy a head and neck restraint and you buy it once. And then maybe every five years, if they care about it, you get it recertified, which is usually 40, 50, 70 bucks. Get a head and neck restraint and make sure that your belts and your seats and everything are installed properly. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I love that. And uh, in, in my time in the racing business, uh, I, I do believe safety is actually key to the business side of things. So in other words, sometimes we, we think of safety as just trying to keep our, our friend or our relative in the driver's seat, just keep him alive and keep him safe from serious injury. But you know what, a, a couple more fatalities at the cup level, and it would be questionable how NASCAR cup racing would have survived as a sport. At the same time, as if, if racing is looked upon as safe, then the whole foundation, the entry level of the sport is open to everybody. So we have a lot of racers where their dad raced and brought them to track and then he became a racer. But for all of us to do well in the industry, on the sales side of things, we just want the lawyer to want to go racing, the insurance salesman to want to go racing, the banker, we want him to go racing. Yeah. And we want them to look at it as an athletic sport comparable to baseball, basketball, or football, and a little bit more a step away from uh, death. So uh, safety, that is to me, priority number one in keeping this sport alive and vibrant and keeping the industry healthy. So we've heard a, a lot of passion today from both of you. And then we've got a picture of how you have innovated to keep drivers safe. 
And I want to thank you for that. Because not only have you saved lives, not only have you prevented serious injury, but you've also helped keep the sport a lot more alive than it would be if we had a much more serious problem in driver safety. So thank you for being here. It's 10 a.m. So we could talk for another hour on driver safety, but we kind of wrap it up within an hour so that everybody can get back to work. Uh, thank you so much, Joe. Thank you so much, Randy. Uh, this has been fantastic. We learned a lot. And uh, we're just a pleasure to talk to you about this. Okay, so thank we'll you. say bye for now. Thank you for the e-part trade. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you. Appreciate thank it Randy. all. Thanks a lot, John and uh, Randy. Good job. All right. Thank you, Joe. Okay, take it easy. <laughs>